Great to see you all. Uh, things have happened since I was last year. I've got glasses. <laughs> I've had to humble myself. I always saw those preachers do this, and I thought I'll never do that. And the whole of last year, I was sort of getting further and further and further away. And eventually, I just had to humble myself and say, I'm aging. <laughs> it's nice to see. People have become a whole lot better looking since I've had glasses. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're always good looking, Warwick. <laughs> I met a man called Sean Dale. Sean Dale was an MMA fighter many years ago. He used to come to church five minutes late and uh, he used to change his girlfriend quite often. And uh, he'd bring her to church as well and then he would leave five minutes early. He did it for many, many years. And then one day he disappeared. Never saw him again. And about five years later, he walked into church one night with the underworld of Durban. About 17 breakers with muscles and tattoos, and they took the whole back row of the church. And I don't know if they were there to stage a coup to sort me out. I don't know what the reason was, but I preached the gospel. And afterwards, Sean Dale walked up to me and said, Rory, do you remember me? I said, yes, Sean, I will never forget you. And he said, Rory, I'm in trouble. I said, what's wrong, Sean? He said, I've got involved with the wrong people. Wasn't a surprise. He said, I've got involved with debt collectors, with drug addicts, with the underworld of Durban. And he said, can you help me? I said, how's your walk with God? He said, no, I've walked far from God. And he recommitted his life to the Lord there that night on Sunday nights. And he walked out to church. And on Tuesday night, I was preaching the foundations course. And I got a phone call to say, Sean Dale's been shot. He's called for you. Will you get to Amstlanga Hospital as soon as you can? And I raced to Amstlanga Hospital. He was, he was on a debt collection thing that had gone wrong. He was trying to get out of this world. We prayed together on the side of his bed and he died. And I did his funeral at Glenridge. 500 people arrived, armed. The underworld of Durban came to that funeral they just sat there and some of them were really, really angry. And there's a man called Nicholas Graham who came to me afterwards and he said, I need Jesus. And he gave his life to Jesus. He was involved in drugs and he served God a little bit and then he backslid a little bit and he came back a little bit and he backslid a little bit and then he completely fell off the rails and he went into rehab. And one day he came to see me and said, Rory, you know, it's easier to come back to God than it is to come back to the church. And that day I got on my knees. I said, Lord, I want to build a church where drug addicts find it easy to come home. I don't want to build a religious center where people can come back to you, but when they come back to the church, they hear things like, where have you been? What have you been doing? What have you been up to? Because when the son came back to the father after he had been living with pigs and prostitutes, the father threw a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet and gave him a party. The happiest place on the face of the earth should be the church when sinners come home. Amen? And I decided that day I'm going to build a church where sinners are going to be happy to come home. And when I preached the gospel, Nicholas Graham had a whole group of friends there. One called Jeff Mayer, you won't know these guys. Another called Bruce Becker. These were the thugs of the Durban underworld. And last week, or last year, November, I was in Qatar. And I got an SMS from Nicholas Graham saying, Hey, Raw, 
Look at this picture. And inside of that picture is Nicholas Graham, Jeff Mayer, Bruce Becker, and two other guys that I can't remember. All of them now are serving Jesus. It happened, it happened, friends, through the life of one man who came back. One funeral. One funeral. Somehow God crept into the hearts of men. It took some of them one month. It took some of them five or six years, but they got saved. I remember the man who owned Harley Davidson in South Africa, a man called Brian Wegerly. Brian Wegerly came down to Durban to do Harley business, flew up to Johannesburg, he was driving home from the airport and a car came across the barriers and wiped him out and killed him. The Sunday before he died, he preached a sermon in his church called A Life Worth Living. And I was counseling a big insurance broker in Durban, a man called Michael, and he was in the depths of depression. His marriage was falling apart. His life was falling apart. And I was going up to Brian Wigley's funeral and I was praying and I felt God say, take Michael with you. So I phoned Michael, I booked a ticket, I said, Michael, you're coming to a funeral with me tomorrow. He said, why? I said, because we're going. We're going to Brian Wigley's funeral. His mother phoned me and said, are you nuts? I said, why? She said, you're taking my depressed son to a funeral in Johannesburg. I said, yes, I am, ma'am. He said, why on earth are you doing it? And I said, I don't know. It makes no sense, but please trust me. I believe God said I must take him. I took Michael to that funeral. We sat for three hours. 800 Harley Davidsons arrived. Six kilometers long of Harley Davidsons blocked the whole Johannesburg traffic system. And Michael got healed of depression, listening about a man who served God with his whole heart. We lost a little boy called Samuel. He was eight weeks old. I'd been in Pretoria. I'd been only there for about six weeks. I got a phone call from this big muscle man called Jan Cravenstein. I'd met him once before, and he phoned me. He said, Rory, at four o'clock in the morning, it's Jan Cravenstein here. He said, how are you, Jan? He said, Rory, my little boy's tired. He said, please come to the hospital. And I raced across to the hospital, and this hunk of a man hanging over this eight-week-old baby, crying out to God. I did the funeral of that little boy and seven people got saved. Serving God. I don't know how funerals work. I don't know how death works. I've only done about eight funerals enough to kill me. So much pain and so much anguish and so many unresolved issues and so many misdirected love and bitterness and all those things that surround funerals. I'll tell you that story, friends. I've only done a few. But today I want to preach about a man who did 137 funerals a day every single day of his life for 40 years. 137 funerals a day. He buried 2 million people. His name is Moses. And at the end of that story... He writes a poem, he writes a psalm to the next generation of people. And I want us to learn from that psalm today. You think these stories are really moving, Rory, and you'll break my heart with your three or four stories of funerals. 137 funerals every day of his life for 40 years. And then he gives us a letter. You've got to listen to it very, very carefully. Psalm, Psalm chapter 90. Psalm 90. 
I believe, friends, when we come to the Word of God, I believe the Word of God is powerful. I believe it's active. I don't believe we come to church to take a seat or to tick a box. I believe we come to church to encounter the Word of God. And I want to say to you today, if you're a bitter person, if you're an unforgiving person, if you carry guilt or condemnation or fear or shame or anything inside, I pray today that the Word of God would impact you and change you and rip your heart and rip bondage out of you. I believe when people walk into church with chains and shackles around their mind and their heart, if the Word of God encounters them, they should walk out of the church free. God is a redeemer. God is a healer. God is a father. God is a king. God has got authority. And God is good. He says, Lord, with Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Say the man of God. This guy's made serious mistakes. I remember flying to Bloemfontein for a conference, and, and there were 5,000 people, and I was opening the conference, and I thought I was the man of God. I mean, preach in front of 5,000 people about Jesus. That's, that's hectic. And there was a guy sitting next to me in a suit. And when we got off the plane in Bloemfontein, the choir started. There must have been 150 people at the Bloemfontein airport making a line, shouting, Oh, man of God! Oh, man of God! Man of God! And I thought, I didn't know they knew I was coming. <laughs> now, really, it wasn't me. It was this other guy in the suit. And he walked down and everybody bowed down to him. Oh, man of God. And he got into the chauffeur-driven car and he got whipped off, and I thought, wow, is that a man of God? <laughs> Friends, this guy, it says, was born as no ordinary child. He had incredible potential, like all of us get born with incredible potential. But he made one mistake after the next. He killed a man. The Bible says he looked this way, and he looked that way, and he cut somebody's head off. You see, friends, all of us have got potential, but that potential is meant to be realized through our observation of God in heaven working through us on earth, and that's how we become men of God. We don't just operate this way, and we, all of us have made mistakes this way. Sexual, relational, financial, we've made incredible mistakes this way, haven't looked up to God. And if you're sitting here today and you've made a mistake and you think, I'm an unworthy person, if you believe in Jesus, you can become a man or woman of God today before you walk out of here. Amen? Amen? The church has got to be the place where people who have made mistakes can get restored to the status of man or woman of God. This guy struck a rock when he was meant to speak to it. This guy doubted God when he should have believed him. This guy made amazing mistakes, and yet they call him a man of God. A man of God, friend, is not some charismatic man standing up in the front of the church espousing Scripture. A man of God is somebody who believes in Jesus and has allowed the righteousness of Christ to cover their sin and shame. Amen? Let's read it. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust saying, Return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight, or like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Say a thousand years. Or like a day. Or a watch in the night. Watch in the night is three hours. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. 
We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we go to gym. You see it there? In the, in the, in the, you, you got it? Hey, you got that one? The RIV. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright. Say that with me. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Say that. Turn to the person next to you and say, God, please. Turn to the person next to you. Say, God, please teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Friends, I, I know it's fun, but please listen to this. I spent five years, my first five years as a Christian, I wasted my time. My Bible was in the boots of my car. I drove really fast. I, I, I had no sanctification. I passed everybody. I braked quickly. I took gaps. And my Bible got beaten up in the back of my car, but I never knew what was in the inside. I never numbered my days properly. I wasted my time. And some of you here today are carrying guilt, and you're carrying bitterness, and you're carrying unforgiveness, and you're carrying shame, and you're wasting your time. We haven't got a lot of time. There's an appeal from a man, 137 funerals a day. He would have stood up in some of, he was a passionate and powerful man. And he would have stood up in some of those funerals and said, Johnny wasted his life. Johnny neglected his children. He would have spoken about regret and he would have spoken about unfinished dreams and he would have spoken about unfulfilled callings. And he appeals to us from the bottom of his heart saying, please guys, please, please, please don't waste your time. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as you have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses had lived in a number of places. The first place that he had lived in was in a basket. It's a basket case. I've met a few of those guys in the church. It's a basket case in a very restricted... How many of you live in a restricted financial position right now, today? Yeah, put your hands up. How many of you live in a restricted physical position? In the back of a room or the back of a house? Or in a shack? He had lived in a very restricted place. He had also lived in a palace. He lived with the most amazing privilege. He had been called the Prince of Egypt. He lived in this amazing place, got brought up by Pharaoh's children. He also lived in a desert, the back of a desert. How many of you live in, right now you're going through a desert experience? Very dry. Put your hands up. High, high, high. You know what Moses says when he gives his address? He doesn't say, basket, you have been my dwelling place. He doesn't say, palace, you have been my dwelling place. He doesn't say, desert, you have been my dwelling place. He says, Lord, 
you are my dwelling place. Friends, it is so easy for the church to give their address as the position they find themselves physically or financially or relationally or sexually instead of the position which Christ has given to us. Lord is the name, friends, that comes from Exodus chapter 3 that God gave to Moses. There's an amazing story that takes place in Exodus 3. God says this to Moses, I have seen your misery. I have seen your misery. I have heard your cry. I am concerned. I am deeply concerned. I have come down. Friends, God knows Cape Town. He knows the cry of Cape Town. He's seen the cry of Cape Town. He's deeply concerned about Cape Town. So he came down in the form of Christ, and now you and I represent him. And if you keep talking to the city about your basket, or about your palace, or about your desert, you'll never tell people about Jesus. Lord, you are my dwelling place. I know some of you know the story I was in. I read that Exodus chapter 3. When I was on holiday in the Kruger National Park, I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned, I have come down. And I went and turned my car and it flashed up and said, stop, pause, phone the agent. I don't know how cars work. You pay people to find out how cars work. If it can't fix it with plastic or super glue, you call in the experts. So I opened my car, I fiddled the, the radiator cap, I pulled out the oil, I put it back in, I closed the boot and I hoped that the thing would change. I turned on to you, pop, 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 phone the agent. So I told my neighbor, he said, well, let's have a look at it. So we opened it up, I said, what do you do? He said, I'm an IT expert at FNB. I'm thinking, oh, you're a freak head. <laughs> so he pushed the radiator cap, pulled out the oil thing, put it back in, closed the boot, turned it on, beep, 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 phone the agent. I went back on my veranda, he came a second time, he says, look at your car again. I think, what's happened since we last looked at my car? <laughs> so we go again, I said, what should I do this time, IT expert? He said, turn it on. So I turned on PP, open it up, push the engine block, pull out the spark plug things, put them back on, pop, 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 turn it on, pop, pop, phone the agent. I'm thinking, why, God, do you always put me next to imbeciles in the Kruger Park? <laughs> third time he comes onto my veranda I'm thinking no but no but you're not going to fight now and I'm thinking my devotion I have seen your misery I have heard your cry I am concerned I have come down and I said to him so tell me about your dad and he just burst out crying this IT expert of First National Bank he said my dad abused me my dad let me down my dad he said how did you know I said I didn't know you see, friends, he didn't know about cars. He had a cry inside of his heart, and he needed somebody to redeem him. He needed somebody to hear the cry. And unless we make the Lord our dwelling place, we will not hear the cry of the city of Cape Town. Lord, Lord, the redemptive name of God is the name that we take all over the city. Friends, I stood on the side of a field the end of last year, and the headmaster of my children's school came to me and he said, have you heard what happened to the headmaster in Nelspad? I said, no, I haven't. He said, he's committed the most atrocious sin. I said, what's his name? And he told me his name. And I ran home and I, and I googled his name and, I, and, and it was just covered all over the newspapers. Headmaster commits this and headmaster commits that. And I look at him and think, 
God, please, can you use me to redeem this man? Because everybody's going to kill him. He's going to go to the courts. He might be guilty. He's going to go to jail. But God, how do we save him? And I preached that Sunday morning, Pretoria. When I finished preaching, a man walked up to me. He said, hello, Rory. And he told me his name. He said, I don't know if you know me. I said, yes, I do. He said, how? I said, because somebody told me yesterday on the side of a field that you've just been accused of a sin. And I googled your name. What are you doing here? He said, I don't know, Rory, but I went to see somebody in Nelspad, and they said, you've got to get to Pretoria, and you've got to go and find a man called Rory Dyer, because he'll tell you about Jesus who can save you. We are not wreckers of Cape Town. We are redeemers of Cape Town. And whether you're an accountant or you're a lawyer or you're a student or you're a doctor or you're a housewife, you represent the redemptive name of God to Cape Town. We don't have much time, friends. People must get saved. I worked with the sharks down in Cape in Durban. Guys that beat you in the curry cup. Completely irrelevant. <laughs> it's not a major thing. And when I moved to Pretoria, somebody said, How on earth are you going to work with the bulls? How's God going to get you in there? I said, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want me to work with rugby players anymore. But if he does, then he'll make a way. And I worked with schools all over Natal. I spoke about Jesus all over. And, and, and they said, How are you going to get into schools? I said, I don't know. I'm not going to advertise. But God will open a door. The first day my children started school in Pretoria, school of 1,400 kids, the headmaster said, will you address the school? I hadn't, my kids enrolled at 8 o'clock in the morning, and at 8.30 I was speaking to that whole school. And I did a wedding in Pretoria in October, and the assistant coach of the Springboks came up to me. He said, Rory, I don't know if you know who I am. I said, no, I don't. He said, my name is Johan van Graan. Could you come please and speak to the Springboks about Jesus? And last Sunday I was speaking and, and afterwards Bismarck Duplessis walked up and, and I said, Bismarck, what are you doing? I said, he said, oh, when I come to Pretoria, I'm, I'm not part of this denomination, but I'd like to come to church here. Why, friends? I don't know. God gives some of us favor with rugby players, some of us favor with schools, some of us favors in the university, some of us favors in business, but wherever God has given you favor, you don't need to market it, you don't need somebody to open a door for it, you just got to be it. You just got to represent the Lord. Just represent the Lord. Because I want to tell you, this city is so full of broken people who desperately want somebody to hear their cry. And even in this room, there are people crying out, saying, God, please, somebody, can somebody rescue me? Maybe you're a drug addict and you're here today. And you don't know why you're here. Because of the Lord. Because the Lord who saved Nicholas Graham and the Lord who saved Jeff Mayer and the Lord who saved Bruce Becker and the Lord who rescued Sean Dale just a few days before he went home. That same Lord is here today. And that Lord can set you free. Amen? I'm not angry. I just want to see people saved. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. 
The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have strength. Let's do the math. I'm not a very good mathematician. A thousand years is like one day or a watch in the night. I will live for 70 years or 80 years if I go to gym. If you do the, the mathematics, in the light of eternity, a thousand years is like 70 years or like one, 70 years like a day, watch in the night. If you do the mathematics, in the light of eternity, my time on this earth is two and a half hours or 15 minutes. 15 minutes. So how old are you? 46. Same as me. According to this scripture, you've got four minutes left. No, no, it's not funny. It's really serious. How old are you, sir? You've got three minutes left. You've got bitterness in your heart, sir? Just using an example. You've got unforgiveness in your heart. You've got three minutes. You've got three minutes. How old are you, Jerry? 54. You've got about three minutes and 15 seconds. You see, friends, we can sit here week after week after week after week because we don't understand the timings of God and we let bitterness grow in our hearts. Three, four minutes. I've only got seven minutes left. I've only got six minutes left. I've only got 50. From the day I'm born, I've got 15 minutes. I cannot let bitterness grip my heart for eight of those 15 minutes. Life's too short. And so I come down from Pretoria with an urgency in my heart to say today we have to do business with God. Sean Dale only had two days left. From the day that he spoke to me, he had two days left and he made right with God. I say to people, if you've got relations in another town and you can't afford to fly there, I will pay your ticket and somebody's taken me up on it. I said, I need to fly to Cape Town to make right. I said, there's the money. Go and fly and make right because that bitterness has ruled your life. Out of the 15 minutes, it's ruled your life for about 12 of them. I saw the brokenness of young Cravenstein hanging over little Samuel. I saw the brokenness of Sean Dale getting caught up in the wrong life. Moses saw that 137 times 365 times 40 in his life. And he writes this letter as a dad saying, please put things right urgently. So how do we know what's important? We've only got a few minutes left. I'm 45, 46 this year. Maybe six minutes left. What's important? Well, I think, I think we've got to ask the question, what does God say? I mean, when, we, when people question you, hey, Warwick, how are you doing? How's Liesl doing? How's your move to Cape Town? How have your kids settled? Family's important to me. When he walks away from me, he thinks, hey, Rory's actually interested in my family. He's interested in the job. How's Columbus going, Warwick? How are the sales going? How have you settled in with your marketing team? Have you employed any new people? What I ask him is important. These are the questions God asks. Where are you? Where are you, sir? Where, where are you relationally? Where are you in terms of the call of God in your life? Where are you in terms of the relationship with that lady? Where are you, sir? Where are you financially, ma'am? Where are you, young lady, with your words, your, your, your tongue? How's your language? How, is it positive? Is it negative? Is it bitter? Is it critical? Is it slanderous? Where, where are you? And then he asks the question, why are you angry? He says to Kate, why are you angry? Why are you angry, sir? Why do those feelings come up inside you? Why? These are important things for God. 
And then he asks this amazing question, where's your brother? Where's your brother, sir? You know the guy that used to come to your home group, where is he now? He's disappeared. Where is he? It's important to God. I've only got six minutes left. I better commit myself to the things that are important. Yeah? And the prayers Jesus prays, those are important. Jesus says, this is how you want you to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. It's really important to Jesus that you understand the Father. Very important. I've been a pastor for 25 years. Church to me is important. It says those who plant themselves in the house of the Lord, they flourish. Church is important. Leadership is important. Tithing is important. Might not be important to you, it's important to me. I've done this for 25 years. I've only got six minutes left. My financials have got to come under the control of God. It's important to me. Making big decisions is important. Counting for God is important. Putting little things aside is important. I've got a job to do. And the church can sometimes become so inward looking and, and, and we, we, we major on minors and little offenses go and we leave the church and then we come back, then we drift and then we... And no, friends, it's very important that we grow together and we serve together and we lay down our lives together and we continue to sacrifice. And it's very important that CEOs humble themselves and get behind coffee machines and that CEOs put vacuum machines on their back and they, they vacuum the church. It's very important that we show the world what sacrifice looks like and servant-heartedness looks like. It's very, very important. Because the world bombards us with what's important. Success and fame and making a name for ourselves. I've only got six minutes left. I've made lots of mistakes. Many. I've let people down. I've heard people. I've said the wrong things. But I'm going to keep believing Jesus. And maybe, not because of the size of the church or the length of my preachers or the effectiveness of my ministry. But maybe just because I believe Jesus, at the end of my life they will write, Rory Dyer, a man of God. If they can write it over Moses, who made so many mistakes, then maybe they can write it over your life too. But this is my appeal to you, Life Changes Church. Ask God to teach you, teach you, to number your days aright, so that you may gain a heart of wisdom. Don't waste your time. Young people, don't waste your time. Call of God in your life, sir. Don't waste it. And you, young lady, and you, sir, don't settle down. Don't let the world dictate. Don't have to wait until a funeral till you see the regrets of people who have got broken relationships and unmet dreams and didn't look after themselves. Don't let those be the determining factors. Rather listen to a man who's done it many, many times, made many mistakes, appealing to us to make good decisions. In Jesus' name. Lord, the redemptive name of God, you have been my dwelling place. Let's pray. It's okay to pray. Today, friends, you know you know that you need the redemption of God. You know you need, you might be in a basket, you might be in a palace, but you know that you need the Lord. 
That saving name of Jesus. You need that name to come into your situation. I want you to be bold enough and stand right where you are. You know you've wasted your time. You've wasted your days. You've wasted opportunities. I want you to be bold and stand right now and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Be brave. Friends, this is a redemptive word. We spoke yesterday about marriage, and I said, I I said to to the Lord, and I said to my family and friends, I was going to be an exceptional husband. And 10 years into my marriage, I realized I was an ordinary husband. And I made a decision that day, Lord, teach me to number my days the right. I want to be a great husband. Redeem this situation. Redeem the way I speak to my wife. Redeem the way I spend my time. There are young people today wasting their time. And I want to tell you, for you who are standing, God is very kind. I have a picture of God as a father who's really loving, who's really forgiving. If you call on Jesus, He covers over a multitude of sin, multitude of bad choices. Yes, young lady, you there with the purple. The Lord, the Lord is the Redeemer. The Lord comes to set you free. The Lord comes to surround you. The Lord comes to make a way for you. You don't have to do this because some are not comfortable. Just lift your hands if you, if you feel free to do that. My years on earth 70 or 80 two and a half hours 15 minutes today Lord God there there might be a waste of those minutes but today I ask that you would redeem them I pray today you would redeem relationships I pray today Lord God you would redeem yes yes Louise in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus Yes, in the name of... He is the Redeemer. He's kind. Yes. Some of you just weep, Michelle. Just in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Just, just, just in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, you just release, feel the release of God. Just let it go. Let it go, man. Let it go. 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 Jesus, Jesus, yes, the Lord, the Lord is my dwelling place. I have seen your misery. I have heard your cry. God is deeply concerned about us. He sent his son Jesus to come down. God is rescuing people, even now he's rescuing you. He's taking guilt and shame and fear. These things bind us up. They bind us. Guilt condemns us, it reminds us, it keeps whipping us, shackles around us. Take off, Lord God. I pray these men and women can walk out of here free today in the name of Jesus. Free. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Just receive. 
so much achieving in this world. We've got to pay a price for something. Let's receive, let's receive. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You should pray this prayer over again. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, Lord, to number our days aright so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days aright, O oh God. Number our days aright. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, some of you even seated are just weeping. Just the love of God. Let the love of God saturate your heart. The kindness of God. Yes, you, man. That lady there. Just lift your hands, man. Just lift your hands. The love of God. The Father's lavishness, His grace absolutely pour over you. Pour over you. Something in your mind says, I don't deserve it. None of us deserve anything. But God gives it to us and Jesus just pours a lavish amount of His kindness over us. You carry other people's loads in an amazing way. You, you, you re wrestle for other people and carry the load of other people and the wellness of other people. The kindness of God come upon you. Touch you. restricted places I declare the Lord the redeeming name of God over your life maybe your marriage has been in a basket, maybe your marriage is a basket case, just a basket case I declare the name the Lord, the Lord the redeeming name of God over your marriage all those people standing up on the balcony Yes, right at the back, sir. God digs you. I love men who stand at the back of a church. I believe God loves those men. You, sir, I've seen many like you. Many like you. Jesus, come for people like you. His grace to pour over you, saturate you, fill you. Call of God in your life, sir, to set men free. Tough men, strong men, hard men. You'll set them free. You will tell them about Jesus and the kindness of Christ. Men whose hearts are so hard on the outside, so soft on the inside. Men, there are many men, even some of your friends, crying out for redemption. Show them kindly and gently the love of God.